Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. I want to say what Pastor Scott said. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. Now I might want to remind you children, it's not your dad's job to honor your mom. Don't put that pressure on us. That's your job. Okay? So hopefully you honor your mom today. I hope that you'll have time to do that. If you want to take your Bibles out, turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This morning, I was at a conference this week, so didn't have enough time to study Timothy. That's why we're taking a break from it. And so we find ourselves in Psalm 40, 46 this morning. I think you would agree with me as we approach this psalm that we all find ourselves in battles that tend to be difficult, some extremely difficult at times. I, I don't think that as a people we necessarily find our place right now in history that is different than all other times of history. I, I think throughout history, every generation has had different battles and different difficulties that they uh, have faced, but yet I still think there is truth to the fact that today we find ourselves in a difficult time. And I think this is in a couple ways. Number one, uh, on a personal level, uh, on a personal level, maybe in your life, you are in the midst of a battle that is difficult. Or maybe you just left one, or maybe you're uh, approaching one, uh, probably. But we all face circumstances, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves, that completely wear us out. Or if they're not wearing us out, they are causing great anxiety in our life. Or maybe we're in a battle personally right now that honestly just frightens us because we don't see how it's going to end. Right? We're not sure of what might happen. Uh, some of us face battles right now at this very moment that is causing you to stumble in your life. Uh, and you know that. Uh, this battle maybe is doing its best to separate you from God or to separate you from your family or some sort of relationship, and you find yourself uh, stumbling. There's battles that we face in life that uh, cause us to weep and to cry. Uh, the Bible says that. There is a time for that, a time to weep and a time to mourn. And maybe you're in the midst of that yourself where you find yourself weeping and you even ask, what is going on? What is happening? Why am I crying right now? Uh, there's some of you who face a battle right now, and what it is doing, it is causing you to doubt. It's causing you to doubt the love of God in your life. It's, it's causing you to maybe doubt your own salvation. You think, how could I be going through this and still be a child of God? And so that's where you find yourself uh, today. Or maybe you're going through a situation that is just leading to a lot of frustration in your life. And you find yourself always frustrated. I'm sure today if we, were, if we had the opportunity, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to be depressed today. But if I had the opportunity to go around the room and to talk to each one of you. And to ask you, what's your battle? What are you going through? And you shared with me what was happening, I have no doubt that it would proven to be true that we're all in battles and that they're difficult. And so when I say that today we find ourselves in battles that are difficult, I do think everybody in here could say amen to that. 
I don't necessarily want you to do that. At the conference this week, there was a guy who said that's right all the time, and it was very annoying. It drove me crazy. No matter what the pastor said, that's right. And I'm like, it is right. It's in the Bible. He said it. We know this. Calm down. Anyways, that was one of my frustrations and battles this week, I guess. I'm not finding him. Yeah, what we'll see in our passage today uh, in 46 is that our battles aren't just a personal battle. There's also battles that the people of God face continually. The battles that the church has to go through as Satan fights against the church. Over time, these battles have looked different. They've came in different ways, different shapes, and different forms, but they've all served the same purpose. Satan still today, as he always has done, continues to do his best to fight against God. That's what he wants to do. And where he fights those battles is here in the church. He fights them in the church and against the church family. And so Satan continues to do this, and one of his hopes is that if he can, if he can get in the church and if he can mess up the church, then the church will not be able to fulfill what God has called the church to do, which is to worship him, to love him, to serve him, but also to tell others about him. And so the goal of Satan is let's get in the church and let's mess the church up. And if, if he can do that, he then finds himself succeeding. Today, I think you would agree with me that the church is not viewed as it was just 20 years ago in America. It's not seen in the same light as it would have been in the year 2000 or in the year 1990. Our culture today doesn't see the church as a great thing anymore. It's not even a stepping stone anymore. I remember a time in our church life, and some of you have been here much longer than me, but you'll remember times in our church's history where our church wasn't liked. We were the southern church, and we weren't liked in town because we were the southern church. But then we saw that gradually change, and so when I was born in the 80s, I didn't, I didn't feel that. I didn't, well, I didn't feel anything, really. I was pretty young. But I remember times when our church was seen as a place to come if you even wanted to succeed in Monroe. It, it was a stepping stone even maybe for a career because if you were Catholic, you went to St. Mary's. But if you were Protestant, you should go to Monroe Missionary Baptist Church because that's where you'll be known. It was seen as a good thing to be at church, but now I think you would agree that maybe that's even something you would keep from your employer because you don't know how they're going to view that. Not because of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, but just because of faith, Christianity, what we stand for. See, our culture doesn't see us the same way, and so there are battles within the church that we are facing that generations haven't seen before us that they haven't had to go through. But also, within the church, we have battles place, taking place for control of the church. And you say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is it's sad today to see many churches no longer allow the word of God to control them. They allow other things to control them. They, they look to words like love, feelings, emotions, acceptance, tolerance, these are the words that build their church up. These are the words that their pastors speak about often to try to encourage the church. But what is happening, and I want to share this so, 
so upfront. I'm not trying to hide anything, and I hope you know that. As a result, this is what's happening. Many people are being led away by Satan, and Satan is dressed as a preacher who calls himself a Bible-believing preacher. Many people today are walking straight into hell as church members because they think they're part of a Bible-believing church, but it's not a Bible-believing church. It's a church that has just enough twisted scripture to make it comfortable enough for everybody in the congregation. But the fact is, if you start to twist and manipulate the gospel any, you no longer have the gospel. It's not there anymore. You can say you're a Bible-believing church, you can say you love Jesus, but if you're not going to teach and preach the gospel and what it is, then you're just a wolf in sheep's clothes. And there's a lot of good people today being led away by Satan himself because of this. You see, in Satan's strategy, we're talking about difficulties and we're talking about battles, Satan doesn't have to have some catastrophic incident happen in a, in a church or in a person's life in order for them to be led astray and to go away. No, it's, it's just a very small thing that needs to happen. And the next thing you know, you're not really Christian. You're not really standing for the word of God. And it's not your authority anymore. I say all of this, and I get us feeling really good this morning. I know that doesn't make us feel the best when we hear this. But I want to get us to the point to ask the question, where is our hope then? I want us all to be asking that. I, I do want you to think about the difficulties of your life. I want you to think of the difficulties that the church faces in our own community and in our own country and I hope it then leads us to that question where then is our hope because it does seem pretty dark and it does seem pretty helpless the times we've had in the past when everything seems so great unfortunately is gone it's not here uh, we can't recapture that we can't necessarily just grab that back I remember being told I, I think I think I was the first generation told this in school, when you talk about it being dark. My teachers, I remember them telling me this in uh, high school and in college. You should never expect to make more money than your parents. They said every generation before you in America, the expectation was you're going to make more money than your parents. You're going to have a bigger house than your parents. You're going to be in a better situation than your parents. But your generation, that's over. Don't expect that anymore. We're not there anymore. And it's kind of proven to be true. So in the church and out of the church, it can seem so dark, it can seem so helpless. So what can God's people do during times like this? Well, we get the answer, thankfully, in Psalm 46. So let's go through it together quickly this morning. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. As we come to this verse the first verse of Psalm 46, we see the answer to our problems. It's God who's our refuge and strength. Him alone is able to do this. Nobody else. No other entity, no other thing. There's a lot of companies in this world. There's a lot of countries in this world. There's all kinds of people who claim, come to us and we will be refuge for you. But we know that that's just not true. They cannot be the true place of refuge for us. There is only one who can be the refuge for us, 
And the psalmist here tells us that it is God. Notice also the plural that is used here. God is not my refuge. God is our refuge. He's not my strength alone, but he's the strength of all of his people. Us here, gathered in this room. He is, he is our strength. Those of us who've been saved by God's grace, who we've put our faith and our trust in Christ fully and wholeheartedly, he is He's our strength. You see, some of you this morning, maybe you got up and you worked out. There's others of us who didn't. Some of you got up and you ate a good breakfast this morning. Some of you drunk 32 ounces of coffee, and that's how you're here. I don't know what your source of strength is to get you going throughout the day. We all have different strategies and different remedies, right? We all have these different things that allow us to make it another 18 hours before we get to bed tonight. But as we gather together here as the, as the church, what this psalmist is saying is we have one source of strength and it's all of our source of strength. And that is God and, and God alone. And we must trust in this. But what does this do in, in seeing that it, God is our refuge and strength? Well, it reminds me, and I hope it reminds you, that our battles, and I want you to hear this, our battles this morning whether personal battles or battles that we face as a church family or as a Christian uh, community in the world are not just for us to fight alone, but it's for all of us to fight in together. Again, that's our personal battles and the battles that we face together. As a people of God, we are never alone in our fights and in our difficulties in this life. But here's just the sad truth. And maybe some of you find yourself like this today, or there's people who should be here this morning to hear this for some encouragement, but they're not. What we often do in times of battle and struggle is we pull away, don't we? We find ourselves in a difficulty, maybe it's physically or emotionally or whatever it might be, spiritually. And instead of drawing ourselves closer to the people of God, what do we do? We back away from the people of God. And the people of God ask questions like, what's going on? Uh, You know, I'm just going through something. Oh, okay. And then instead of sitting in the third pew, they're now sitting in the fifth pew. Hey, what's going on? It's, it's, It's just some stuff I'm going through. Okay. Eighth pew. Tenth pew. Fifteenth pew. Back row. Then you start not seeing them. And you're asking them, what is, what is happening? You know something is going on in their life, and you start to find out that something's happening at work, that they're very concerned about it. But they're making it a personal issue, and they're not letting the people of God come in and love them and support them and care for them. And so what are they doing? They're pulling away, which is the exact thing that Satan wants to happen, but the exact opposite of what God would call us to do. Because it is within the church where we can remind each other, brother, Where is our refuge? It's not in your paycheck. It's not in your employer. It's not in your family. Your refuge is in God, just like it's my refuge. Remember when you helped me through that difficult time? You reminded me to trust in the Lord, God, our refuge. Let me do that for you this morning. Cling to him. Put your hope in him. Be reminded of his promises. Remember, you are not alone in this. And notice when God is our refuge in this verse. When is he our refuge? When we're in trouble. 
He's not the friend that shows up when things are good. He's the friend that showed up when everything was horrible. We know this about Jesus himself, don't we? When did Jesus come? He says, when does he speak to us? At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In our mess of sin and, and destruction in our own life, Jesus entered into this mess, wrapped himself in flesh, lived the perfect life, died the horrible death that we deserved, was buried in the grave that we deserved, but rose again. Why? So that we could rise again with him. He came when? In our trouble. That's what a friend does. That's what a true friend does. And that's what we see with God here. He comes to us when we are in trouble. And we thank him for that. Well, let's continue on verses 2 and 3. He says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Here the psalmist gives us a picture of the worst things that can possibly happen. Look, creation and all of its power in these two verses are starting to rage. They're like revolting. It says the earth just starts to fall apart. Mountains begin to fall into the sea. And then the picture that we get of the sea is what? Roaring, raging, uncontrollably, just utter hopelessness as we stand thinking, well, what power do we have? Well, nothing, because the earth is just falling apart. There's nothing that you can do. Go ahead and try. You want to try to fly away? You can't. You can't fly. You want to try to run away? You can't get away from the earth. You can't get away to the mountain, and you can't get away from the seas. Good luck. Yet what do we see happens in the midst of this? Verse 2 starts with, therefore I will not fear. Wait, what? What you said after that is actually a good reason to fear. Because everything you said is calamity and destruction. If ever there was a time to be scared, this is the time. Because everything is falling apart. There is no control to any of this situation. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel you have no control, but for somebody like me who loves to have things in control, I hate those spots where you just think, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm completely powerless to do anything in this moment. Yet here, the psalmist says, therefore, we will not fear. Some of you today are in a situation, no doubt, where you feel that you have no control at all. You're just wondering what is going to take place. What does my future hold for me? What is life going to be like? We'll look at verses 4 through 7. Psalmist continues and says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Think about this picture we have. Verses 2 and 3, we have the earth going away, but how it ended was the sea. Everything is falling into the sea, and it just shows that the sea is just roaring, and it's foaming. It's so dangerous. 
But then in the city of God, for the people of God, we have something very opposite happening. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You have this picture in your head of this picturesque river flowing nice and steady, very beautiful. This is what is in the city of God. Not, not the raging seas, but the easy flowing river. Even though there's chaos everywhere, in this city of God is this river. And what does the river do? It makes glad the city of God at all times. When I was reading this, I was reminded of John chapter 7 and verses 37 and 38. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This, is, this psalm points us to Christ, doesn't it, here? That for those of us in the church, again, those of us who've been saved by God's grace, you going through problems, but you know that you are God's, that he loves you. You have in you a river that flows steady, that gives peace and that makes you glad. Even though the whole world seems so chaotic and your life might even seem out of control, you know it is not out of control. Why? Because Christ has saved you. Christ loves you. He has redeemed you. He has restored you. And you are his. And so that's why he would proclaim in John chapter 14, verse 27. And I think we forget this about Christ. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the peace that only Christ can give us. A peace that sustains, a peace that lasts forever. And then verse 5, why is this? Well, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. We have a promise here of God, and it says what? It says God will never leave his family, ever. Maybe some of you have had a family member pass over the past year or so, and you're finding that to be very difficult. It was to no fault maybe of this individual that they passed away, but their absence is very hard on you and your family, and it's caused chaos maybe. Well, the promise that we have with God is God will never leave us. God will not die. God cannot die. And he is there with us at all times in our midst, giving us peace and comfort because of the blood of Christ. As we get to verses 6 and 7, again, we see the great power of God compared to the great, pow the great power of this creation in the world. Look, it says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and what happens? The earth melts. Earlier in this passage, we saw the mountains and the earth giving way. We saw its great destruction. We, saw now, we see now that even the nations, it says, are revolting against God. And this is a verse that maybe you as an American for the first time are, are seeing. Because maybe for the first time, our nation rages against us as the church. It's unprecedented. It's not something, again, that other generations have seen. But yet that is the push that's starting to happen here. But even though these nations rage against us, maybe things will plot against the church, all this seems like utter hopelessness against the people of God. Yet 
the same voice that spoke into existence light and water and made creation flow how it flows, what does it say the voice does now? That same voice speaks and the earth melts. Kingdoms of the earth, the whole creation cannot withstand for a second the voice of God. Why? Because he created it by speaking and by a word, he can end it. We see the great power in our God. We say the great control that our God has on display here for his people to see. And why do, why do we have this? Why do we need to see it? We need to see it because we're so weak. These battles continue that we fight. They continue to rob us of joy and of peace that we should have in God. And here in this psalm, we should be reminded the God who sent his son to die for you, who loved you enough to save your soul when you were still a sinner, rebelling against him, that same God allowed you to be part of his city that can never be shook, that could never be destroyed. See, in Sunday school in the back, Dennis asked us a question. Dennis pastors in a different country. And he asked us a question. He said, if I asked you guys your lineage, kind of like your ancestors, where they come from, would you know? That was his question. Would you know where they come from? And everybody's kind of shaking their head. And Pastor Spencer proudly and boastfully said, I'm an American. That's what I am. He did it jokingly, I get. And we all know these backstories of our lives, I'm sure. But no matter what your ancestry is, it doesn't come close to comparing the true family that you're a part of. The people of God. The people of God. If we all look at our ancestry, do you know how embarrassing that is after a while? You stand and you might say, I am so proud to be of Italian heritage, which that's what my background is. The Italians have done some bad things throughout history. It's kind of embarrassing. Whatever yours is, guess what? Yours is embarrassing too. But as a person of God, an enemy of God turned to be part of the family of God, adopted into his family so that he loves me and so that he'll never leave me. There's no history I can look back at and say, God, this is embarrassing. No. He's with us. He, he never leaves us. And that's why the psalmist in verse 7 would proclaim, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of, of Jacob, he is our fortress. Nothing else. Only him. And so as we close out the psalm in verses 8 through 11, I'll read it and we'll close with it. The psalmist says, Come behold the works of the Lord. How he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. At the end of the psalm, the psalmist gives us an invitation. And the invitation is to witness the wonderful works of the Lord. How he brings desolation to the earth. How, how he has the power to make 
all war just cease by speaking. And what does he do? He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. All chariots are burned with fire. What is this representative of? Man's best technology. I mean, that's what that is back when this was written. This is man's best technology. Bows and spears and chariots. And the psalmist wants his people to know, that's like a little matchbox car. What are you talking about? That is nothing. To God, he shatters that. He, he, gets, he gets rid of that with, with no problem, with, with no hesitation. Nothing man can come with is ever, gonna, ever going to stop him. And then verse 10, which I think is taken out of context some. Verse 10 actually where it says, be still and know that I am God. That's, that's actually not an invitation to us, the people of God. I think we would think that. Actually, what it is, is this is a call to the nations who fight against God, and it's God saying, <laughs> calm down. I'm God. <laughs> You're not. Maybe you've been in like a situation like that before. As an older sibling, I found myself in that situation a lot. Calm down, little guy. Little guy. I'm much more powerful than you. I'm eight, and you're three. I will destroy you. You're only alive because I'm kind and compassionate at this moment. That's the picture here. These nations rage against the people of God. The enemies of God continue to fight against the people of God. As I mentioned, today in our own country, does it not seem like our own country fights against the people of God? That's a new one for us. But as we face these difficulties, we need to remember these words of God who says to our enemies, oh, be still. You can come no further. In fact, all your technology, all of your wisdom, gone in a moment. Because of this power of our God, he alone is to be exalted among the nations. And I want, to know, I want you to know this too. He is exalted among the nations. It might not look like it. The nations may not praise him and worship him, but that does not make it so that he is not exalted. Because he is. And we cannot lose sight of this. As the church, as the people who've been saved by God, our God is on the throne. There is nobody else on the throne but him. There's no other person, no other thing. Our God is on the throne the throne and he has a plan and it is a perfect plan and thanks be to God part of that plan was for you and I to be a part of his city he chose that and we are thankful for that and we see within his plan that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and we pray and we look forward to that day but don't for a second start to think because that day hasn't come yet that he is not exalted he absolutely is exalted he is exalted among the nations. And so in this picture, we have all of God's enemies at the end helpless. Why? Because they cannot stand up to his power. And at the end of this psalm, they see who he is. And they see their position before him. After all of this, we finish the psalm with the same way that the psalm started. With God being praised and exalted, it says the Lord of hosts is with us. 
the God of Jacob, is our fortress. This God, the all-powerful one that we've been reading about, is our God. Our God and our fortress. Though the world may fall, our God never will. Though your test may come back bad this week, that test cannot remove you from the family of God. Though your life isn't going exactly as you had planned it out, that your life isn't happening exactly how you thought everything would, and in fact, it seems a little chaotic and out of control, know this, as a child of God, you are completely under the control of God. Do not fear. Do not fret. I was reminded this week, that conference, and it was a good reminder, and I hope it's a good thing for you this morning. Your God loves you so much as his child He will do absolutely anything to help you to see that more and more. God will do anything to get you to trust in him and in him alone. And oftentimes it is at our weakest when we rely on him the most. See, sadly, we try to avoid those parts of our life, don't we? It's like that brother I was talking about. You say, what's going on, brother? And he says, just some things going on. Slowly keeps slipping back to where you don't see him anymore. He's pulling away. Keeps, keeps, keeps pulling away. And what is, what is that brother normally doing? Avoiding their weak side to you. They don't want you to see their, weak, their weaknesses. But yet, the Bible continually teaches us that it is when we are at our weakest is when we are at our best because that is when we are finally clinging to him and to him alone. Not to our savings account, not to our family, not to our prosperity or anything else. All we have is him. And at that moment, when all we have is him, we have everything. And that's the only time we have it. When we start to say, but I have God plus I have this great savings account. Well, then you don't have God. You have a savings account. Good luck. Good luck with it. But you see, our God loves us so much that he will bring us to our knees just so that we will remember it is to him only that we can cling. One reminding me this week of this, the the pastor who was talking about it went to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. I was going to read it. I'm going to read it for you. It's when Paul talks about his thorn in his flesh. And look at how Paul talks about it. He says, so, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, we go through this psalm, we talk about the difficulties of life. I wonder how many of us could honestly this morning pray what Paul wrote there in 2 Corinthians. 
If I invited you this morning and said, everybody this morning who wants to pray, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, please come forward and kneel here and we're going to recite it together and then we're going to go out these doors. Who here could say, for the sake of Christ, and I am content in my weaknesses? Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Because God, I know that when I am my weakest, then I am strong. I don't think any of us would come up here. I think it'd be the lamest altar call ever. But God loves you enough to bring you to that point. And I want to remind you this morning that though you may be going through a battle personally, maybe what is happening and taking place is God is trying to get you to the point to where for the first time in your life, you will cling only to him. That you will experience what Psalm 46 is teaching us. That, listen, there is only one refuge and fortress in this world for the people of God, and it is God himself. Nothing else. Not your health. Not your home. Not your job, not your education, not your career, nothing. For us as Christians, the only thing we have to cling to is God. And when I say that, it may sound to you of like, the only thing we got is God. No. That means we have everything. When we cling to God, we have the one that when He speaks, things are created. And when he speaks, the earth melts away. There is no thing that man can do to us because God is our fortress and strength. I feel like every week at the end of the sermon, I want to quote Romans 8 at the end of Romans 8 because it's almost that's where everything always leads to is to remind us that if God is our fortress and God is our strength, then we should remember And you should remember as you walk out of these doors, what then can separate me from God? Nothing. Nothing. The mountains may fall into the sea. The earth may open up and swallow us whole. Nations may come to our land, throw bombs all over it, kill all kinds of people. But no bomb, no natural disaster, no tragedy can ever separate you from the love of God. Though the world rages, we have a river that makes glad the city of God. And Jesus promised us, where does that river flow? In our hearts. Streams of living water that he has given to us saying, oh, your plans may not happen. The things that you wanted just might not be. But that doesn't change who I am. God's saying it doesn't change that I'm here to be your refuge, your strength, your ever-present help in time of trouble. I hope this morning you'll take that in. I hope this morning you'll understand that truth in your life. I don't think there's anything greater for you to understand today than that there's no like financial advice or relationship advice that i could give you that ever could surpass the truth that we see in this this psalm god is our refuge as a church family god will protect 
his people. And one day, we will get to be with him in that new city. When this earth melts away, and God creates a new heavens and a new earth for his people, for us, where it tells us that we will get to dine with him, we will get to drink with him, we will get to enjoy fellowship with all of our brothers and sisters who've been adopted into our family, God's family. Well, we look forward to that day. And we have a promise that that day will come because God cannot be moved or shaken. I'm gonna pray. And then after prayer, we're going to observe Lord's Supper together. So after I pray, uh, gentlemen, if you'll come forward uh, and hand out the elements to us, I would appreciate that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you for Psalm 46 and the truth of it. God, I never feel like I do justice to a passage. And so, God, I pray that you would use my feeble attempt this morning to speak your word to our hearts, to give encouragement and strength. God, I, I know. I don't even have to guess. I know that within our congregation, there are battles taking place, people who are hurting, going through things that they never thought that they would go through, facing things that they had hoped to never face, getting to spots in life that just were not according to the plan. God, this morning I hope that they heard that you are our refuge and strength. And God, I pray that it would revive life in a soul that seemed to be wasting away. Remind them how much you love them. Remind them that Jesus came to die for them. Remind them that you are the one who is all powerful and though this world seems chaotic in their life right now, that's nothing to you. Remind them of what Paul would say, that it is in weakness when we are strong. God, that's one of those upside down things that you do. We would think strength and might would be the route to win people to the Lord, but no. You choose to use us, a broken people, a people facing battles and struggles, not knowing what to do. You choose to use us in our weakness to prove out your strength and love to us and to a lost and dying world. And so God, I do pray that we would get to the point to where we would be able to say what Paul said there in Corinthians. That I'm willing to face insults, I'm willing to face hardships, I'm willing to face persecution, struggles, whatever it may be, so that in the end I am clinging to you and to you alone. God, I hope that that can be our prayer. God, if I'm honest, I don't know if it is just yet. God, I pray that it would be. So that then we would know that we are clinging to you and to only you. God, we thank you that you do not leave us that you do not forsake us, that you are our strength and our shield. We thank you that you robe us with the armor of God each and every day and that it is there to help us in these battles. God, as we get ready to observe this Lord's Supper, I pray again that it would be a reminder of how good you are to us, 
that it would be a reminder of how you've brought us together in Christ, nothing else, but you brought us together in Jesus and what he has done for us. God, that, that we would be unified in that, ready to be your people here in Monroe. God, we praise you for how good you are to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.